Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at You know, God has been God for a long time. And as far as I can tell, through the reading of the word and through the stories that have been passed down, he's never lost a battle. He still reigns victorious. Amen? Through every uprising of the enemy and through also the lack of cooperation that he sometimes gets through his saints, his army, which is called the church, who he's positioned on this side of heaven to bear evidence and bear witness to the power that rules and reigns within him. He's never lost a battle. He's still undefeated. And this is what I've come to understand, that God is going to get the victory whether you're on his side or not. Come on, God is going to be victorious whether you partner with him or not. But I know that God, his desire is really that we would participate in being victorious on this side of heaven. He said, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion. He's given us a directive and he purposed for us to win in the directive that he gave us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. How you guys doing? All right. Well, bless the Lord. I'm excited to be here. If you're watching online, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and uh, hear what the Lord has to say to us as a church community. Uh, I I have questions that I ask myself. I I don't know about you, but I talk to myself. Okay. I I have to talk to myself because it's better that I talk to me before somebody else talks to me. Amen. Right. But, but I ask myself this question and, and I want you to ponder it and maybe think about asking yourself this question. Is, is God's will being done in and through your life more because of you or in spite of you? Is God's will being accomplished in your life more because of you or in spite of you? Or how about this? Is God being victorious and doing what he wants to do in my world around me more because of me or in spite of me? I don't know how you ask yourself questions, but I kind of talked first service about, you know, if you don't know, my son was drafted in the NFL. He's an offensive lineman. I played defensive tackle, and all of my buddies were like, oh, it's a chip off the old block, and you taught him really well. And I'm thinking, I played defense. He played offense. There was a lot of things that I wasn't able to teach him. There were some things that I was able to teach him that I believed helped propel him to where he got to, but I, I didn't struggle with it, but I had to continue to ponder that question. Is he there more because of you or more in spite of you? We have worship moments, and there's times when, you know, we'll be on the platform, and, and, and we're just like, man, that, we didn't get it. We, we, we had an idea. We thought we were doing something, and then people come, that was the best worship service ever. And we're like, I don't know where you were listening to, but is God doing it more because of you or more in spite of you? What I've come to understand that whether you're with him or whether you're not with him, God loves his bride. Amen. And God's going to do what he purposed to do. Watch this. God made a promise to the children of Israel that he was going to take them to the promised land. And Moses and all of his anointing and all of his gifting and all of his talent, Moses still came up short for some reason in fulfilling the assignment that God had given him to lead the people into the promised land. But again, God is a man of his word. And in spite of Moses's cooperation, God raised up somebody else who would help fulfill his will for the children of Israel and allow his promise to be manifest in their lives. Is God moving more because of you or more in spite of you? Now, I don't want you to think that I'm dogging Moses out because I'm not dogging Moses out. I'm really boasting about the reality of God's sovereign will coming to pass. Come on, what God has purposed to do in and through the church by faith, I believe that it's going to come to pass and there's no devil in hell that can stop it. Come on, what God has purposed to do and desires to do in and through his bride, I believe that it's going to come to pass and there's no devil in hell that can stop it. Come on, there's no pandemic that can stop it. There's no catastrophe that can stop it. Come on, there's nothing that can stop the kingdom of God. Amen? Come on, and quite frankly, I believe that the prayer that's going on, watch this, I believe that the prayer that's going on in God's house is more important than who's in the White House. Mm -hmm. The prayer that's going on in your house and in the house of God is more important than who occupies a position because there's nobody greater than King Jesus. Amen. Now, now you don't have to believe my word, but you should, because I'm just going to repeat what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He's talking to Peter and he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Is that what Jesus said? 
It says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Upon the revelation and the understanding of who Jesus was, that's what Jesus was going to build his church upon. And he said, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God is going to win because he said he's going to win and he ain't never lost a battle yet. So there's really no need to doubt, come on, the reality and the ability that God will be victorious in and through our situations if we let him. Come on, say this with me. Say, God is greater than anything. Come on, say it again. Say, God is greater than anything. I need you to say it with some gusto. Say, God is greater than anything. Come on, if you're watching online, join us. Say, God is greater than anything. Come on, can I get a little bit more volume? Say, God is greater than anything. Come on, you need to put that on the dashboard of your car when you're driving down the street and somebody starts messing with you or cut you off. You just remember that God is greater than anything. Some of you need to put it on your wall so when you wake up first thing in the morning, you see it. And it says that God is greater than anything. Yeah, we know we got the day we got to face, but God is greater than anything. Some of you guys need to put it on your mirror so when you go to the mirror and brush your teeth or do your hair or put your makeup on or whatever it happens to be, you remember that God is greater than anything. If you got a computer screen, or a monitor, you should put it right there on the top. So when you're looking at social media, when you're looking at Fox News or CNN, and they're telling you all of this nonsense and rhetoric, you can remember that God is greater than anything. Come on, if you believe that, give God some praise. Amen. Let's pray. I got to preach a message. Hallelujah. Father God, again, we thank you that you're an awesome God and a faithful God. And we're grateful for this day, another day that you've made and one that we purpose to rejoice and be glad in heavenly father. We're grateful that you woke us up this morning and allowed us Lord to see another one of your glorious creations. Lord, you clothed us in our right minds and we knew to acknowledge you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, heavenly father. So we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for your loving kindness, which is better than life. Heavenly father. And today in this space, in this next 25, 35 minutes, minutes, God. We're asking that you would just come and have your way, God. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a mind to understand, a heart to receive, and then a faith and a boldness to walk out, God, whatever it is that you say in this place today. And so we love you, God. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. And we expect you to be true to your word. Come and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So questions. I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of scriptures. Uh, How many of you believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God by a show of hands. Ooh, I really thought that I would get 100% participation with that, but that's okay. I believe it. There's a scripture in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says all scripture. Somebody say all. Not some scripture, but all scripture. Not just Habakkuk, but all scripture. Not just revelations or some part of John. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Out of the Message Bible, it says it like this. It says, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another for showing us truth, for exposing our rebellion, for correcting our mistakes, and for training us to live God's way. It says, through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. And today, what I want to attempt to do is kind of put a microscope on the word of God, if you will, and and, and allow it to help us confirm whether or not we are actually operating in kingdom truth. We want to put a microscope on the word and then put the microscope on our lives and confirm whether or not we are operating in kingdom truth. There's a scripture that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I don't know about you, but if I was going the wrong direction, I would want somebody to tell me. If I was going the wrong way, I would want somebody to tell me. So number one, we're going to put the word of God and help us confirm whether or not we are operating in kingdom truth. Number two, we're going to put the word of God, a microscope on it, and determine whether or not we are operating in rebellion with some of the things that we say and some of the things that we do. Are we operating in rebellion and some of the things that we say and some of the things that we do? In Matthew 16, 18, we just read it. 
Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter the question and, and Peter answers the, the, the question correctly. And he says, yeah, upon this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail about it. That was in verse 18. In verse 23, Jesus has to tell Peter, hey, who had just exercised this Holy Ghost wisdom, he says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know whether it was three minutes. I don't know whether it was a day, a half a day, but it's five verses later. He just had this revelation of who God was. And then five verses later, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Why? Because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's not a statement that I really want Jesus to say to me. So I'd rather me discover or discern whether I'm operating in rebellion to the word of God versus having Jesus tell me that. Amen. Third thing, we want to use the word to recognize and consider where we might be mistaken and how we process and live out the principles of kingdom living. Come on, because there is, it's possible that there are times in our lives that we are operating from a human perspective instead of a kingdom perspective. Come on, if we're honest. There are times when we are operating from a, from a human perspective instead of a kingdom perspective. The problem is we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So for us to operate in human perspective or human principles instead of kingdom principles or perspective doesn't help us fulfill our calling. Does that make sense? And lastly, we want to use the word of God to reaffirm the principles set forth in God's word so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't want to be partially equipped. I deal with football players, right? There's a reason why when the helmet comes off, they pull you out of the game. Because for you to go out there and try to play this game of football and you don't have all the equipment on, that could be dangerous. That could be bad news. Be thoroughly equipped. Now, I want to start with a scripture. Just giving you a scripture. And, and just in case I say something that you don't like today or you think that it doesn't apply to you, let me just give you the word. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and, and 24, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not just the ugly people or not just the pretty people, not just the fit people or not just the out of shape people. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I love this. Verse 24 says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ people, Christ Jesus. The message translation says it like this. It says, since we have compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, Jews and Gentiles, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. Amen. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing. Come on. He put us in right standing. He did it. We didn't do it. He put us in right standing with himself. It was a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Christ Jesus. So watch this. Human perspective, human, perspective, human understanding, human principles versus kingdom perspective, kingdom understanding, kingdom principles. The notion of the supremacy of one people group being over another people group. That's not Bible. The notion of, or the idea of one profession or one political party being superior in the eyes of the creator, that's a false. When we operate in false principles, we can't expect the blessings of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. All means all. So it doesn't matter whether you're black, doesn't matter whether you're white, doesn't matter whether you're Hispanic, doesn't matter whether you're Asian, doesn't matter whether you're African or whether you're Russian or Ukrainian. I'm trying to cover all the people groups in the church today. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or whether you're a policeman, whether you're a fireman, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat or a Libertarian. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, whatever other title that you decide to use. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. Verse 24 says, but we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, that makes anything else that I could claim as an identity pale in comparison. I'm a Republican who goes to this church. You got your identity wrong. I tell you guys all the time, I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a pastor. I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a father. 
I'm a Christian, cleverly disguised as a servant. The problem with you putting your title above your identity in Christ before that is that you get off track because you start ordering your life based on you being a Republican rather than ordering your life based on you being a Christian. You start ordering your life based on you being a black person or a white person or a Hispanic person versus ordering your life based on you being a child of the Most High God. The greatest title that you will ever have will be child of God. And I think that too often we forget that, but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. And think about this. Nobody comes to Jesus because you boast about your spiritual exploits. At least that's not what the Bible indicates. It says people come to God because of the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Is that, is that not what it says? So, so let me give you a story, maybe to try to make it make sense in, in the way that I'm processing. So Pastor Shane, no, I'm going Keegan. All right, so me and Keegan, we're out on a fishing boat off the coast of Alaska, make it a cold place, right? We're 600 yards away from the shore. The boat starts to sink. I'm like, Keegan, we got to swim, bro. You good? And Keegan's like, I can swim 150 yards. I'm like, I can swim 250 yards. It's like, come on, man, you're a young buck. You're strong. 150 yards? How come you can only go 150 yards? I start giving Keegan static for only being able to swim 150 yards, but I can only swim 250 yards. Keep in mind, we are 600 yards from the shore. So at the 150 mark, 150 yard mark, me and Keegan, we swimming together. And he's like, I can't make it anymore. He starts to fail. Keegan's going to need some help. But I keep doing my thing and I get to the 250 yard mark. But at the 250 yard mark, I start to fail and I'm going to need some help. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature you think you are. We all need Jesus to help us get the rest of the way. Come on, we all need the grace and the power and the love of God to help us close the distance. And I think that we need to stay mindful of the truth in Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. And I believe that the opportunity that we have in light of the season of life that we all find ourselves in requires that we live and speak only what God has said and not just our interpretation of what he th we think he meant as it pertains to living as followers of Christ. Because the word of God, watch this, is not the word of God unless it's properly interpreted. Let me say that again. The word of God is not the word of God unless it's properly interpreted. Did that make sense? Let me say it like this. God is only obligated to back up what he says, not what he think, we think he means. Mm. God is not obligated to back up what we think he means, only what he said. Now, I'll use this next term quite a bit through the rest of the message, and I'll talk about Christ followers. And we'll get to talking about believers. And if you're in here and you're not a believer or a Christ followers, we'll get to talking to you too. But this particular part is for those who profess to be Christ followers. Now, it's possible that I could be misunderstood, but I believe that there's a difference between being a believer and being a Christ follower. I think there's a difference. I think the Bible is clear. Just like I believe that there's a difference in knowing about somebody and actually knowing somebody. There's a difference. Some of us have stats. You got your favorite team. You know all of Dak Prescott's stats. It's like, why'd you have to do the cowboy thing? Joel was there. That's the first thing that could come to mind. I was going to say Michael Jordan. Okay, you know all of Michael Jordan's stats. But you don't know Michael Jordan from a can of paint. Okay. If you showed up at Michael Jordan's front door for a dinner party, you're like, I got all his stats. I know the, the rings. I know the shoes that you wore, the Jordan ones on this time, the Jordan sevens. He'd call security. <laughs> knowing about him is not the same as knowing him. Us having facts and information about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. So here's a couple thoughts or arguments, I guess, if you will. Number one. A believer believes in Jesus, but a Christ follower honors his commands. Come on, a believer believes in Jesus, but a Christ follower follows his commands. 
James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. But it doesn't change their behavior. Believers believe. If you're a Christ follower, your behavior changes. Does your belief in Jesus, does it change your behavior? Does your faith in Jesus, does it change your behavior? In a positive way. One pastor said that if your current self looks back at your past self and there's no difference, then time has changed, but you haven't. If your current self looks back at your past self and there's no difference, if you don't disagree with your past self at all, time has changed, but you haven't. And I feel like this coronavirus and, and all of its fallout and uh, coupled with the, 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 the craziness and of, of, of the, the racial tension and the political tension and the voting year and all this stuff, I, I feel like it's got too many Christians, too many quote unquote Christ followers shook. And I think it's caused a lot of people to backslide. Now, when I use the word backslide, I'm not talking about necessarily just falling all the way away from Jesus. Let me, let me try to explain to you what I mean. I'm simply talking about uh, if you were at a level three faith in January 2020, I'm sorry, if you were at a level eight faith in January 2020, because we was like on it, we was going somewhere, we was going to do some great things. Then coronavirus comes and sheltering in place comes and all this other drama comes and your kids got to be at home and you at a level four faith, you've slidden back from a position of faith that you once held. That's what I'm talking about being, about being backslidden. If you had a level eight faith in January, and then you find yourself not believing and not trusting and not hoping like you did back then, you've slidden back from a position that you once held. That's being backslidden. I'm not picking on you, just telling you the truth. Number two, a believer reads the Bible when things get tough, but a Christ follower reads the Bible to engage in a deeper understanding of Jesus himself. A believer reads the Bible when things get tough, but a Christ follower reads the Bible to engage in a deeper understanding of Jesus himself. Psalm 104, 105 verse 4, it says, look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always. And the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, it says, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I don't want just facts about him. I want to know him. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. If you're just content with having data and information about Jesus, you're probably a believer. But if you want to know God, I mean, I just want to know him. Maybe you're a Christ follower. I believe that's the mentality anyway of a follower of Christ. Number three, a believer prays when things get tough. And a Christ follower give thanks no matter the circumstance. A believer prays when things get tough, but a Christ follower gives thanks no matter the circumstance. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, you don't have it up there, 518, rejoice always in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A believer prays when things get tough. A Christ follower gives thanks no matter the circumstance. Number four, a believer twists the Bible to fit his or her lifestyle, but a Christ follower works to make his or her lifestyle resemble the teachings of the Bible. Say it again, a believer twists the Bible to fit his or her lifestyle, but a Christ follower works to make his or her lifestyle resemble the teachings of the Bible. Are you trying to bring God down to your level? Or are you trying to rise up to his? The video games, they have this terminology, say level up, right? Level up. Some of us need to level up spiritually and quit trying to make the gospel fit our lives and our opinions and our perspectives, but we need to make our lives fit what the Bible says. Second Peter 3.16 says, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. Scripture. 
And here's the problem. It says, and this will result in their destruction. It doesn't say it's going to result in the kingdom's destruction. It doesn't say it's going to result in God's will being accomplished. It says it results in our destruction. And the last one, a believer conforms under the pressure or culture, but a Christ follower holds fast against temptation. A believer conforms under the pressure or culture, but a Christ follower holds fast against temptation. Ephesians 6.13, Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Come on, I, I believe that the Bible clearly indicates that as a Christ follower, you are to make the infallible word of God, not, not your opinions, not the patterns of your culture and society, but the infallible word of God should be the plumb line for your life as a standard for godly living. Say that again. I believe that the Bible clearly indicates that as a Christ follower, you, you are to make the infallible word of God, not your opinions, not the patterns of culture or society, but the infallible word of God. That should be your plumb line as your standard for godly living. Come on. Uh, the Albertsons Employee Handbook, it, it doesn't mean anything to me because I'm not an employee of Albertsons. Okay? So, so even though I shop at Albertsons occasionally, they can't hold me to the same standard of operation as they can hold their employees to because I'm not an employee. As a Christ follower, there is a standard. Come on, somebody. As a follower of Christ, there is a standard by which we've been called to live our lives. But watch this. When your lives as a Christ follower doesn't resemble the standard that God set forth, then you cause confusion. When our lives as followers of Christ don't resemble the standard of the gospel that we've been called to live by, then we cause confusion. Ah, the word, it's confusing. The word is not confusing. The Bible says the word is light and life to all who find it. Light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. I can take you all through the Bible. What it says the word is, nowhere does it say that the word is confusing unless you're not a Christ follower. It does say in Romans that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Are you a believer or a Christ follower? And I don't know, it could just be me, but I think the world has enough confusion already that the church doesn't need to add to it. The world has enough confusion all by itself that the church doesn't need to add to it. I think that your church needs to be and the church needs to present the answer to all of that confusion. Amen? I mean, that is why it's called the good news of the gospel. We got something for your confusion. We got something for your peace. We got something for your anxiety. We got something for your hurt. We got something for your situations and your circumstance. It's called the Bible, the word of God. All right, let me get back to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness, right? And he'd been fasting 40 days. So he, he's tired. But we all agree he's tired. I mean, he was the son of man, but he was the son of God, but son of man. He was in, in human form. So 40 days in the desert. It was hot. We agree he was hot. So he was tired. It was hot. Well, we agree if he's fasting, he ain't had no water in the desert. Okay? He's thirsty, right? He's tired. He's thirsty. And then there's this pesky little fly that pulls up on him and starts bugging him called Satan. I hate flies. I mean, I really do. And I'm thinking, he's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty, and then the enemy comes in and starts messing with him. Now, if anyone ever had a reason to complain about a situation that was externally beyond their control, I think this would have been a good one, right? And I have to ask myself, okay, what would I have done if I was in that situation? I was tired, I was thirsty, I was hungry, this is beyond my control, and then the devil comes messing with me. I'd have knocked him out. I mean, I'd have went like Mike Tyson on him straight up. Probably bit off his ear, too, because I was hungry. <laughs> Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, something out of thought. That, but that's why you and I aren't Jesus, right? So what did Jesus do? He hit him with the word. Now, Jesus could have... He, he had legions of angels at his disposal. He could have punched him. He could have slapped him. He could have kicked him. He could have done all of these different things. That's not what he did. He hit him with a word. So the devil's like, man, I know you're hungry. 40 days out here. This is nonsense. You didn't even have to go through all this stuff. 
you need to turn that rock into a loaf of great harvest bread, like sourdough cheddar. How did Jesus respond? He says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Devil engages in this little word game because he knows some scriptures too. And Jesus comes back. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus hit the devil with the word. That's how he fought the devil. And I keep asking myself, like, you know, why did he go through that particular process? And I think the reason why he set that example for us is because he knew that we couldn't kick the devil in the teeth. We couldn't punch him. We couldn't bite off his ear. But there was a weapon that we could use that we could hold the enemy at bay. And that's the word of God. Hit him with the word. Come on, hit him with the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So now I'm going to say something that may offend some of you guys. But, 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 but before you get offended, I want you to check the text. Okay? So, so this is the statement. As a Christ follower, if you have an opinion about anything, and that opinion contradicts the word of God, then you're wrong. As a Christ follower... If you have an opinion about anything and that opinion contradicts the word of God, then as a Christ follower, you're out of order. And here's the problem. We hold on to these mindsets which end up being strongholds and we're willing to fall on the sword for something that contradicts the infallible word of God. If you're willing to fall on your sword for something that does not align itself with the gospel, then Houston, you have a problem. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we demolish arguments. Hey, you you got to check Peter's language here. This is like warfare. He's talking about taking people captive and putting them in jail. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you have an opinion and that opinion contradicts the infallible word of God, then you are wrong. Let me give you this analogy. Dr. Tony Evans, since it's football, and some of you guys are going to leave here and you're going to go watch some football, I'll give you this analogy that he, he talks about as far as using football. Right? He says, so in any football game, he says there are three teams on the field. Okay? There's the home team and then there's the visiting team. So those two teams, the home team and the visiting team, they're at war, right? They don't get along. They're in conflict. They're in battle. They're resisting each other. They're blocking each other. They're tackling each other. And they're trying to keep each other from reaching their perspective goal lines, right? They're both headed in two different directions, and they don't get along because they don't agree about where they're headed. But it says in the midst of these two teams, there's a third team. And this third team is called the team of officials, the third team doesn't belong to the home team and they don't belong to the visiting team. They belong to another kingdom called the National Football League. See, they belong to the league, but they're positioned there in the midst of the conflict on the field. But their job is to represent the kingdom that's at 200 Park Avenue in New York City on the field of battle where the other two teams are going in totally different directions. And watch this. Their job, their job is not to take sides. Their job... This third team is not to have opinions. Their job doesn't even matter, doesn't even care about what their personal preferences happen to be, what their desires or goals happen to be, nor what the majority of the fans uh, happens to be because they belong to a different team. Now, at the league office in New York, there's a man who sits behind the desk called the commissioner. At the league office in heaven, there's a man who sits on the throne called the commissioner. And it's to him that this team of officials answers to because what they do on the field is evaluated from his desk and from his executive chair. So it says these officials have been given a book and the book gives the governing guidelines on which the officials are to rule. So it doesn't matter what the players say. It doesn't matter what the fans say or even what the coaches say. It only matters what the book says. Am I making sense? 
So sometimes they're going to be popular because everybody's going to agree with their call, and sometimes they're going to get booed because nobody agrees with their call. But it doesn't really matter because the officials, they're not there for the fans, they're not there for the teams, they're not there for the officials. They are there as representatives of another kingdom and another king, even though they are on the field of play. So watch this. When the officials do not officiate according to the book, they lose the support of the commissioner because the commissioner's obligation is only to them in accordance to how they rule and how they deal with the information that was given to them. When the officials do not officiate according to the book, they lose the support of the commissioner because the commissioner's obligation is only to them as long as they rule in accordance with the governance of, that he has given them. So when they decide to align themselves with one of the two teams on the field, they insult the league office and they've forgotten their calling. And watch this, in our world today, there are two teams that are battling on the field for our culture. There's black teams, there's white teams. There's upper class teams and lower class teams. There's democratic teams and republican teams. Watch this, there are pro-mask teams and no-mask teams. And they're all in conflict with one another. But the real tragedy of our society today is not the battle between the two teams. It's that God's officiating group has decided to join these teams and have lost the uniqueness of their office. No longer being first and foremost committed to the kingdom that is above and the commissioner who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Kingdom citizens have decided that they're going to be a part of these other groups to join into the class and the cultural warfare. And then they lose their uniqueness on the field of play. And then they have the audacity to wonder why they're not hearing from the commissioner up above. Now, maybe you think that this is not your job as a Christ follower to officiate. But the Bible is clear that it's your job to bear evidence by the things that you do and the things that you say that the kingdom of God is at hand. Pastor Tracy talked about the kingdom last week and I get excited when people start talking about the kingdom. So watch this, Jesus is on the mountaintop with Elijah and with Moses. And we, we go through this, your Bible heading might call it the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a transition. I believe that Jesus was closing down a dispensation of time and starting a new one, right? But I'm like, why is he meeting with Moses? Why is he meeting with Elijah? Dave, or David was the man after God's own heart and Abraham's the father of our faith. So my earthly non-understanding how God is processing things thinks that he was meeting with the wrong people, right? But the Bible says from the prophets to John, the only thing that was, was, was preached was the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Nobody could preach anything else. You preach the law and then the prophets came and they prophesied about Jesus. So Moses is on the mountaintop and he's meeting with Elijah and he's meeting with Moses. Why? Because Moses brought the law. And Elijah, the most powerful prophet, he was prophesying. So he's like, Moses, you brought the law. I'm the fulfillment of the law. Thank you. You can go now. Elijah, you prophesied about me. Here I am. You can go now. And this is what I love about the Bible. It says, from that time forward, Jesus preached the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is at hand. People think, oh, we got a deliverance ministry. Jesus did not have a deliverance ministry. Jesus didn't have a healing ministry. He didn't have a prosperity ministry. He preached the kingdom. He, he preached the kingdom and then he healed to bear evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. Does that make sense? He preached the kingdom. Then he did miracles to bear evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. He preached the kingdom and then he delivered and he restored and he redeemed to bear evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand. Maybe as a follower of Christ, you don't think that you're an official, but your job, your assignment is to preach the kingdom, say what God has said, and then bear evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand. Understand this. You were saved by grace first to be someone, a child of God. By the way, man is in Christ Jesus. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You were saved by grace first and foremost to become someone a child of God, and then you were equally empowered by that same grace to do something. God positioned you, called you his son, called you his daughter, then he empowered you to go and bear evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand. So watch this, who you are in Christ, Jesus is paramount to what you do. Because anything that you do should be an outflow of who you are. Who you are in Christ Jesus is paramount to what you do for anything that you do should be an outflow of who you are 
in Christ Jesus. Let me give you the scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I love it from the message translation. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors on this earth. But if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. And he says, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket. I'm not going to hide you under a bucket. He says, I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Because by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That's our purpose. As the church, as the people of God. I thought I was called to be a pastor. That's a calling, but you have a purpose. Your purpose is more important than your calling because it's God's purpose and then your calling. Does that make sense? God's purposes and God's plan, the Bible says, are what's going to prevail, not man's. Anyway, here's a statement. Purpose is always an answer to a problem, and purpose is the reason for the creation or the existence of a thing. Okay? Purpose is always an answer to a problem. Come on, the Bible in the Old Testament in Genesis, Abraham, I mean, uh, Adam was chilling in the garden. He had God and he had everything and he had dominion and all that stuff. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he made him Eve. Eve was the answer to a problem. Does that make sense? See how God works? Come on, the, the airplane was the answer to a transportation problem. Come on, the telephone was the answer to a communication problem. Electricity was the answer to a darkness problem. The problems that are going on in the world, the church with the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these problems. He told us to go and make, take dominion over the whole earth. We have purpose. Be salt, be light. I need to be a pastor. Before you become a pastor, be salt, be light. I need to be a CEO. Before you become a CEO, be salt and light. Because if you got the wrong salt, See, some of you want to be Himalayan pink salt. You need to be Johnny salt. <laughs> the church was created on purpose, for a purpose. As Christ followers, we need to lay aside the things that don't matter, and we need to focus on the things that do. Come on, what, what, what doesn't matter? You need to lay aside the things that don't make a difference, and you need to focus on the things that do. Now, I've been around football for a long time. In first service, we had some of the players, some of the former players. But I can tell you this. Not one time, not one time have I ever seen a coach complaining about a call and then the referee's like, oh, let me change the call. I'm sorry, dog. Not one time. You've never seen it. You have seen complaining result in another 15-yard flag, but complaining has never changed the referee's mind. The referee just walks away. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Complaining doesn't move the meter. So then it doesn't matter. Worry, anxiety, fearfulness, that does not move the matter, the meter. So it doesn't matter. As followers of Christ, we need to focus on the things that matter and leave aside the things that don't. In Hebrews 12, uh, chapter 1, out of the Good News Bible, it says, So then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds, us, holds on to us so tightly, and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let's get rid of everything that hinders us and everything that slows us down and everything that doesn't uh, uh, help with us being followers of Christ. Let us throw that stuff away and let us run to Jesus, keeping our eyes focused, fixed on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Think about the things that you do, the things that you worry about, the things that you say that don't really matter in the scheme of, of being the salt and light that God has called you to be. Are you confusing non-believers? Are you helping them see who God is? It's a clip I want to share with you to kind of help bring this home. So turn your attention to the screen. I don't work for the government. I am here to offer my services as your legal counsel. If you accept them as such, I work for you. 
if I accept you. Are you good at what you do? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Have you represented many accused spies? No, not yet. This will be a first for the both of us. <laughs> yes. All right. All right, you accept. Yes, all right. Good, okay. Let's start here. If you are firm in your resolve not to cooperate with the U.S. government... I am. Yeah. Then do not talk to anybody else about your case, inside of government or out. Except to me, to the extent that you trust me. I have a mandate to serve you. Nobody else does. Quite frankly, everybody else has an interest in sending you to the electric chair. All right. You don't seem alarmed. Would it help? How did we do in there? Uh, not too good. Apparently you're not an American citizen. That's true. And according to your boss, you're not a Soviet citizen either. Well, the boss isn't always right. But he's always the boss. You never worry. Would it help? What do you think will happen when you get home? I think I'll have a vodka. Yeah. Yeah. But, Rudolph, is there not the possibility? That my people are going to shoot me. Yes. You're not worried. Would it help? Come on, would it help? You're worrying. Would it help? You're complaining. Would it help? Some of the things that we do, and we think it's in the name of Jesus, or it's, it's kingdom activity, and maybe it's not. I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. I'm telling you to check the word. We're, we're putting our actions, we're putting our mindsets, we're putting our mentalities up against the infallible word of God. Because if your opinion differs than the word of God, then you're wrong. And Jesus is in the garden, Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden and the soldiers, it's the night before he's, you know, he's going to get taken captive and he's in the garden and, and the soldiers come to arrest him and, and Peter cuts off one of the soldiers' ear. And Jesus tells Peter, 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 look, if I wanted to, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels and they come in and they stand in the gap for me. They would fight for me. But my purpose requires that I don't do what I could do sometimes. And you know, you can, you can complain if you want to, and God is gracious, he's not gonna smite you. And you can choose not to be and not to do what God is asking from you in this particular season, and his grace will still keep you because he loves you. But then you have to understand that you're causing God to move more in spite of you than because of you. But I think that we're more effective in being kingdom citizens and fulfilling our purpose when we only say what God has said and then when we do the things that God has called us to do. The Bible says do everything in love. You, you can't praise and complain at the same time. You, you cannot. You can't be grateful and, and complain at the same time. If you, you get in your car and you just punch the accelerator and the brake at the same time, where will you go? That's kind of what we do when we think that we can do both in the name of Jesus. Purpose requires you to exercise some restraint and do some things that you could do and not do some things that you could do, but only strive to do those things that matter. So quickly, as we wrap this up, what matters? Prayer matters. Come on, 
Prayer matters. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Something powerful to be reckoned with. Prayer matters. Come on, praise matters. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord in Psalm 150. You have to understand that praise is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. Well, if you feel like praising me, you can praise me. It's not, it's a commandment. You, you got to read the scripture. Well, I don't really like lifting my hands. The Bible says lift your hands, not the pastor. I didn't make it up. Praise matters because what praise does is it elevates you into a space where God lives. We got it wrong. Oh, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. That is not Bible. The Bible says that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. So when we talk about when the praises go up, the blessings come down. No, 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 no. So you somehow think that you can dictate God's day by whether you praise him or not. Praise is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. And it's a commandment because it matters. And the word matters. Prayer matters, praise matters, and the word matters. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We are so much more effective when we do the things that matter. Not matter to the world as far as how they process not the things that you think matter to your culture or your political party or whatever it happens to be, the things that matter to the kingdom of God. We're so much better. We're so much more effective. And watch this, the world really needs us to be who God said we should be. They really need us to put some solid foundation, some truth on all of the confusion and all of the rhetoric that's going on. And you're gonna have choices to make because you're going to have to choose to take that thought captive. You're going to have to choose to say only what God has said and only do things that matter. But my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we would be a people, that we would be a church who does only those things that matter. We make a mistake, God is gracious. But if we keep him, if we stay mindful, God can do amazing things. Amen. Come on, can I pray for you? Hallelujah. Father God, again, we're grateful, Lord, for who...